Welcome today to the Carter Report. The topic is the saint's inheritance. Years ago when I was in Russia, middle of winter, it was December, I'd gone back after running the big campaign with my team in the city of Nizhny Novgorod. I was in this old hotel, it's called the Russia. About 12 o'clock noon, I think it was, it was almost semi-dark because so much snow and Russia in winter is, is dark and cold and, and pretty glum. And there was an urgent knocking on the door. I went to the door and there were two men. One man I recognised because he'd been a part of our team for the campaign a few months before. And with him there was another young man who was dressed as a doctor. And they said, come with us now. I spoke through the translator, through Alexander and some others, and they said, can you come now? I said, why do you want me to come? Where do you want me to? They said, to the hospital. I said, why? Why to the hospital? They said, Anna, our choir director, she directed the choir when we had the great campaign in the Palace of Sport, when all those thousands came to Christ. She's just had two babies. One baby died. It appears that it appears that Anna is going to die. I remember this as though it were yesterday. I went up to the hospital. In those days, after the collapse of communism, the hospitals were basically empty of all medicines. I remember going in and they suited me up and put those special shoes on. And I was taken by a doctor, a number of doctors and Anna's husband into this ward. And there was beautiful Anna. I remembered her as though it had been just the day before because she'd been the director of this magnificent Russian choir and Russian choirs can sing. I remember her long black hair and she was covered up to about here with a sheet. The hospital was out of drugs and she was unconscious. I discovered later $20 worth of drugs would have saved her. $20 worth of drugs. I stood there with the family, with the husband, with the doctor, friends, some other Russians. I held her hand and I prayed for her and the surviving baby who had been named Anna after her mother. As I mentioned before, she'd given birth to twins. One of the twins had already died. The other one was holding on, and so was Anna. I prayed for her a prayer of desperation. And after this prayer, we went back outside into the snow, back to the hotel where we were tremendously busy getting ready for this big series of meetings and as the sun went down that evening, Anna, our choir director, died. I was asked to take the funeral. We had purchased a little bus, a little bus to run around the streets of Nizhny Novgorod. They opened up the back of the bus and they put her coffin in the bus, in the back of the bus on the floor. The coffin was made out of cardboard with painted flowers. We went out to this cemetery in the midst of this 
Russian city in the midst of winter with the wind moaning softly through the trees. And the trees, of course, had no leaves. The cemetery filled up with graves and the pictures of people who were resting there beneath the sod. The Russian believers had dug a grave with picks and great difficulty because the earth was, was, was frozen. Anna was lying on, in, the, in the coffin with one of the little babies. They asked me to speak to the crowd, which I did through a translator. I spoke basically to the crowd, the Russian crowd, what I'm going to tell you today. I told them, this is not the end of Anna. It's not the end of her baby because Christ is alive. And because Christ is alive, we have the assurance and we have the promise that we are going to live again. I'll never forget the choir that remained standing around the coffin, stroking her long black hair, the little baby at her breast. I'll never forget the songs. But I want you folks to know this. When you go down into the grave, it's not over. Because the Bible teaches there is a resurrection. I want you to come in the Bible if you've got your Bible with me. If you haven't, you can just follow along. That's fine. I'm going to turn to John chapter 5 and verse 28 and 29. I'm turning to John chapter 5 and verse 28 and 29 to the words of Christ. Do not marvel at this for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. There is a resurrection day and we have reasons to believe. Now, some time back here in the United States of America, I was watching a popular television program on a great religious television station, one of the biggest in the world. It was, it was a great convention of, of young American pastors who felt a calling to become youth leaders. God bless them. And they asked one young man who seemed to be fervent, I think he was their leader, they said to him, why do, do you believe in the resurrection of Christ? He said, absolutely. Then why do you believe in the resurrection of Christ? He said, because of my faith. And there was tremendous applause. I want to tell you something today. I believe in the resurrection, not because of how I feel or because of some sensation or because of something which is called faith, I believe in the resurrection of Christ because it happened. 
I believe we have reasons to believe. I believe in faith. But what is faith? Faith is belief in something. But faith doesn't necessarily make it right. I believe in the resurrection of Christ because it is right and because it actually happened. There are reasons to believe. Now, I want you to notice today some evidence that demands a verdict. I want to talk about eyewitnesses. Now, you know and I know that the whole legal system here in the United States and around the world is based upon eyewitnesses. When we have a trial, we call in people who are eyewitnesses. Now, I've met tons and tons of people. They say, you can't believe the Bible. You can't believe in this, this record. You can't believe in what it purports to tell you as is history. I say, that, I say to them, how do you know about Caesar? How do you know about Alexander the Great? They say, because of the records. I want to tell you this, and we're not going to take a lot of time on this today. We're not going to try to prove it to you because we don't have time. This is an authentic historical record. I know a little bit about biblical archaeology and I believe not because of blind faith but because there's reasons to believe. I want to talk about some of the witnesses that testify concerning the resurrection of Christ. Let's call the witnesses. Number one, Mary Magdalene who testifies concerning the reality of the resurrection, Mary Magdalene. Who was Mary Magdalene when she got to know Jesus? She was a prostitute. And through the ministry of Christ, she gave up a life of sin. She came from the sleazy little town of Magdala, hence she was called Mary Magdalene. She was saved by Jesus. And she was there at the time when Christ was raised from the dead. I want you to come over here to John chapter, what is it, John chapter 20? John chapter 20 and verse 13 and 14. John chapter 20 and verse 13 and 14. Notice it as I read it to you. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, I do not know where they have laid him. The tomb, you see, was empty. Now verse 14. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was was Jesus. The reason she did not know it was Jesus was because it was early in the morning. Most likely there was fog on the ground and because she was crying. And often we cannot see Jesus through the bitterness of our tears. And so she says, what's happened to him? What's happened to him? Then if you notice verse 15 and 16 of the same chapter, 15 and 16, it's a great story. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? 
She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. This is devotion. Here is this young woman. I don't imagine she's a big person, but she says, You tell me where he is, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to get him. You tell me where he is, and I'm going to get him. And then verse 16, Jesus said to her, Maria, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. She knew him, I think, not basically because of visual sight, but she knew him by the tone of his voice. Is he raised from the dead? Try asking Mary. Come down a little bit further. Verse 17 and 18. John chapter 20, verse 17 and 18. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. So she was clinging to him. (laughs) Do not cling to me. I'm not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he'd spoken these things to her. Listen to me. Mary's not a confidence person. She's not a charlatan. She's not like these people who call you up on your telephone who are trying to rip you off. Mary was the real deal. She'd been a great sinner, but now she was a great saint redeemed by the blood of Christ. Ask Mary. She says, absolutely. Another reliable witness is Peter. Peter was a fisherman. He was the sort of person you and I would have liked. He was honest, outspoken, impetuous, sincere. Not a smooth-talking politician from Washington, D.C., or Canberra, Australia, or London, Great Britain. He was the real deal. What you saw is what you got. He had his faults, plenty of them. He denied our Lord Jesus Christ with cursing and swearing. And Christ appeared to him. It is written down, and this can be your homework, it is written down in the Gospels that the Christ whom Peter denied was cursing and swearing. This Christ appeared to Peter. Peter wrote it down, said, I've seen him. On one occasion, Peter had breakfast with him on the beach. They had a meal of fish and bread, which the Lord had prepared for them on the beach. Sea of Galilee, it's written down. We're talking about eyewitnesses. We're not making up stories. Our faith is based upon evidence. Now, the third set of witnesses, because they are a set that we shall call other disciples who did not believe. It's amazing in the New Testament, the people who appeared to have the greatest faith were the women. 
And when the women came to the disciples with the news that Christ is raised from the dead, the Bible says they didn't believe it. But they came to believe it. As you can find if you come over here to Luke chapter 24 and verse 36 and 37. Luke chapter 24 and verse 36 and 37. Luke chapter 24 and verse 36, 37, they've locked themselves up in a room. They're scared to death because they think that the Jewish authorities are coming to get them and kill them. Luke 24, verse 36 and 37. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. Or as the Arabs say today, Salam alaikum, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. So they were totally unbelieving. They did not believe that Christ could possibly rise from the dead, but Christ appeared to them. And they wrote it down. They wrote it down. They wrote down the story. And verse 38, 39, and 40. Verse 38, 39, and 40. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and and his feet. And the record goes on to say that Jesus sat down with them and shared with them a meal of fish and a honeycomb. Until I got this talk out, I thought it was a meal of fish and bread. <laughs> I wrote down on my notes, he had a meal with a fish. No, no, no. Then I read the scriptures. It said, fish and honeycomb. Who were these disciples? I guess they were the most sincere people that you could ever meet. Uh, they weren't confidence men. They were regular people whom God had called and they were very decent, honest people. They were absolutely convinced of the presence of Jesus. Listen to me. They were so convinced about the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus that all of them, with the exception of John, who was imprisoned on the Isle of Patmos, all of them suffered violent deaths. Bloody deaths. Tortured to death. Peter, in fact, when they came to get Peter and crucify him, he said, no, 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 no. I'm not worthy to die the way that Christ died. History says he was crucified upside down. People generally don't go through crucifixion and torture for a myth that nobody can believe in. They believed in the resurrection because they'd seen Christ. Then the Bible talks about a crowd of 500 men and they saw him. I want you to come over here to 1 Corinthians 15 
verses 4, 5, and 6, dear hearts and gentle people. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 4, 5, and 6, and I want you to notice it. This is the word of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 4, 5, and 6, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas. That's another name for Peter. He was seen by Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Now, when it says 500 brethren, that's talking about 500 men. And so you can count another 500 women and maybe 500 or or 1,000 boys and girls. So here is a massive crowd of maybe 2,000 people. And they see him and he talks to them. Because he's alive. This is not a fairy story. And then there was a person called uh, Paul the persecutor. If there was ever a person who was calculating, some would say vicious and cruel and tenacious, it was the Jewish scholar Paul who set out to destroy the Christian church. But he saw Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15 and verses 7 and 8. And if you want a chapter on the resurrection, this is the greatest chapter in the Bible on the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Read it, read it, read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7 and 8. After that, he was seen by James then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of time. History tells us he was the great Christ hater. He was the great enforcer of religious orthodoxy. He was the Jewish zealot. But in his heart, he had a heart for God. And God can forgive every sin, every sin in the book, if a person comes to God. The Bible tells us he was traveling along the road to Damascus. He was going there to put to death Christian people and have them thrown into prison. And Christ appeared to him in glory. And this great Jewish scholar met Christ. Let me tell you folks something. There have been a number of great characters in the history of this world. Moses was one of the great characters. He gave us, through God, the Ten Commandments. In the New Testament, there are two characters that stand out perhaps above every, every other character. Of course, Peter is a great character. But the greatest character of all is Jesus Christ, who was a Jew. And perhaps the next greatest character in the Bible is Paul, the Jew. It was through the ministry and the writings of the Apostle Paul 
that civilization was changed forever if there had not been the book of Romans that was written by Paul there would have been no reformation no America no freedom no religious liberty so when we listen to people who scoff about these characters you just got to be sort of kind to them because they don't know anything So here, here are some of the witnesses, and we can call other witnesses. And these are historical documents. These, we've got evidence to believe that these are authentic historical documents. This is not something people made up. Now, there's a great question we need to ask, and there's a great question we need to answer, and that is this. Listen. What happened to the body of Christ? Because on the Sunday morning, the body of Christ was missing. Now the Jewish authorities said it's missing because the disciples came at night and they stole the body. We plan to look at that theory in the second part of our program, which is coming up in a few seconds. But we're going to answer this question, what happened to the body of Christ? Did the Jews get it? Did the disciples get it? Did the Romans get it? Today we're talking about the certainty of the resurrection. We'll be back in just a few moments. Christ gives us clarity. When all around us is in ruins, we can rebuild our lives on the promises of God. The new Carter Report and Hope TV Media Center has risen up from the ashes. The van is loaded with medical supplies, food and water, then driven by courageous Christians into places of danger. With a cheerful heart, they deliver hope to weary souls. And because of you, faithful followers of Christ, Ukrainians have been given a new song to sing. It is up and running. We are witnessing a miracle. We are committed to keeping it operating and expanding. God is not done here. Let us follow him. With your financial help, we can heal the Ukraine. Spiritual programs will be made. Supplies will be driven to those in need. And new songs to the Lord will rise from the rubble. God can take any gift and multiply it to bless the Ukrainian people. Let us not forget them. Pray that the Ukraine will be restored. And pray that the peace of God will prevail. Diakoyu, thank you. Your gifts can be sent to the address on the screen or visit our website. God bless you and thank you for being a part of the Carter Report family.
For a copy of today's program, please contact us at P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Or in Australia, contact us at P.O. Box 861, Terrigal, New South Wales, 2260. This program is made possible through the generous support of viewers like you. We thank you for your continued support. May God richly bless you.